Take our Bibles and open to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Wednesday evening is often, we call it a midweek service. Sometimes we call it the prayer meeting, the prayer service. I thought I'd speak on prayer this evening, but from a place that I never thought of as a prayer before. I never ever thought of the book of Proverbs as a place to speak on prayer. In fact, for years now, I've been in the Word of God for some time, and I love it and read through it and teach on it, preach on it, etc. But I never even noticed this little hidden prayer in the book of Proverbs in chapter 30. You can just read right over it and not see it there. As far as I know, it's the only prayer at all in the book of Proverbs. It's not what you think of. I'm preaching on prayer. I'll go to Daniel. I'll go to the Lord's Prayer. I'll go to Nehemiah in chapter 1, his deep prayer, or even in chapter 2, his what they call the ripcord prayer, when he answered the king, the Solomon, and the consecrating of the temple. There are many, many places to go to read profound prayers and see the patterns but I've never seen one in the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 30. Allow me to read the first couple verses and then go down to read verses 7, 8, and 9, which has the prayer in it. So the chapter starts in Proverbs chapter 30. I'll just read them and pray before I get into preaching. It says, The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Uchal, Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. So we have this man, Agur, introduced to us in verses 1 to 3. We'll talk about him in just a few seconds. Let's read verses 7 to 9. Again, I'll read them out loud for us. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Father, I pray tonight as I Spend a little time in your word as we spend a little time in your word that you would speak to us, that you draw us closer to you, that you'd add depth, that you'd add dimensions. No matter how long we've been praying, no matter how long we've been reading your word, ministering your word, that you'd add depth. Your word is so powerful. It can do that and so much more. We will certainly give you all the glory and we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So who is this Agur? If you know, please tell me. I'll be interested to hear. Is it just a pseudonym for Solomon, just like King Lemuel? Is that a pseudonym for Solomon? Is this Solomon adopting a different narrative voice to have some things to say? Could be. That's what some of the scholars will tell you. Others will say he's just another figure that added to this great portion of the wisdom and poetry section of our Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know. 
I do know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, so I don't really need to know that to find great things out of the word of God. But it's an interesting question. You don't find his name anywhere else in all of the scriptures. You don't find Jacob anywhere else in the scriptures. And you don't find Ukal. You find the name Ithiel one other time. I think it's Nehemiah chapter 11, if I remember correctly. I didn't even jot it in my notes. The one other time there. But he's an obscure figure. And he's not one we would think of too often. And like I said earlier, you don't think of the prayer. And it's easy to miss because in the older translation here, the word require to us, that sounds like I'm demanding it rather than the meaning of it to make a formal request, another meaning of the word. So you might read over that and not even think he's saying a prayer. Of course, the verses leading into it make sense. And then the words that follow make sense. And you look at it and say, oh, I do clearly see he was making formal request. Ezra said he was ashamed or embarrassed to require of the king an army, a band of soldiers, because the king had already given him so much. Uh, Esther was advised before she went into the king not to require this of him, meaning to make a formal request. So that gives us the, uh, the prayer context there. And like I say, you, you may even miss that. When I look here at Agur and I see I guess it could be Solomon, but he wants to create a different narrative voice because look what he says in verse 2. Surely I am more brutish, you know, uncouth and unlearned than any man and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Well, that's the very opposite of Solomon. So is this a different person? If you read through the rest of the chapter, you can see this is no brutish, unlearned man who's writing this because there are these deep questions and deep thoughts that go through the whole whole chapter. In fact, I love so many portions of it, it's hard to contain myself to our small portion of it this evening. But let's look at Agur's prayer, but let's look at the prefatory remarks to it before we even get into the prayer. This would be the thought, if we were going to try to have a thought tonight to carry us forward or to take away with us, it would be this. We ought not only to pray for wisdom. We all know that. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. I'm used to that translation. So those words roll off. But if any of us lack wisdom, just ask a God. He gives it freely and he's not going to chastise you. He's not going to put you down for not knowing it. So we kind of know we ought to pray for the wisdom of Solomon. I think we all say that. But this thought of not just praying for wisdom, but learning to pray with wisdom. And so I think if I'm going to try to have that thought Hopefully we spend a good amount of time in prayer. Are we praying with wisdom? Uh, Let's look at some things here. If I want to find out about praying with wisdom, I might as well go to the book of wisdom and see what it has to say. You could read all over Proverbs and learn about wisdom. You know, she's crying in the street and all kinds of things about being a wise person versus being a fool. The whole book is that. But let's see what we can glean tonight in the time we have about praying with wisdom. 
He's so obscure. Remember back when Jabez was obscure to all of us and then that big book came out in about 2000 and we all read about the prayer of Jabez and we spoke about it and it's not so obscure, but before that, Jabez was a totally obscure figure to me too. I just read through all those genealogies and breeze by that and then I think Bruce Wilkerson, I think is his name, when that little book came out and I was like, wow, I've never seen a little book about Agar before. And really, up until about three weeks ago, whenever I come back on furlough, I develop about seven messages that I carry with me. And then during furlough, I'll be adding to them. But sometimes you're traveling here and there and don't have your office. So it was just in preparing, when we come back earlier in the month, it's the first time I ever looked at Agar. And his prayer. So let's look at some things here. First of all, look at the preparation. He went into prayer. If we're going to pray wisely, the biscuits are done. You can take them out of the microwave now. If we're going to pray wisely, the first thing will be wisdom. So right from the beginning, the first two words in verse 7, two things. See, Agur's my kind of guy. Read the whole rest of the chapter. He's all about lists. Three things are small, yea, four, and then he'll mention these four, but are exceeding wise. If you look through the whole chapter, chapter 30, it's one list after another after another, but the first one is two things. He's going into prayer, but he's prepared because he's not going to do poetry. You know, a lot of our prayer can be poetry. And sometimes in public prayer, you are going to had some flourishes because you're leading. When Solomon preached in a temple, there was a lot of language exalting God. We know the old pattern, don't we? A-C-T-S. If you're going to pray, you don't just right into it. Have some adoration and then some confession and then thanksgiving and then supplication. He says, I'm going into prayer. Two things. If we would have that idea of being prepared for prayer, uh, I'm not just talking maybe sometimes Wednesday nights we know that we pray for certain things, but in our own prayer life, that there's a preparation before it. Because we've all learned, you know, in Christian circles, most of us, unless you're real new to the faith or uh, maybe didn't grow up like I didn't know when I first started. I didn't even know how to pray. I was embarrassed to pray until I heard how people pray and could imitate it and throw in the appropriate Christianese and all of that. He went into prayer knowing what he was praying for. Two things, and he had this list. Any of you list people? I'm a list guy. I have the little, uh, little pad for that day, and then I have the other one for the next couple of days, and then I have the big one with a long list. And my kids make fun. Dad, you can do that on your phone. You can do that on this. I'm not doing it on my phone. I'm doing it on my writing pad. I want to be able to cross it out. Amen? And then rewrite it the next day as I focus for the day before me. Faith Baptist Church, Cooser, right? Tonight, 7.30. Be there by 6.30. Now I want to have it on there. So I get to go home afterwards and whoosh, did that. And if something happens that I did some big job and it didn't make the list, I will write it on the list so that I can cross it off the list. Anybody else? So here's a guy who went into prayer with the list. What if we were that way about prayer? What if we were praying as we do continually and always, and yet we were very prepared when we went into it? Not prepared so much in how we'll say it, but what we're going in. So he had preparation. I'm only on the first two words so far. Two things have I required of thee. 
required. It's asking. So the first word is preparation. The second one is petition. I've been here enough times that you know I'm going to alliterate no matter what. I think when I get in heaven, we'll be alliterating eternally. The next thing is prayer is petition. All the other stuff is very, very important. God is worthy of praise, and we'll be praising him through eternity, but the heart of prayer is petition. So he said, two things have I presented before you for your consideration. Two things have I asked. And to remember that that's the heart of prayer. Prayer is not the perfunctory exercise. We just do it because we're about to eat. Oh, Lord, please bless the food that we're about to eat to the nourishment of our bodies, no matter what kind of food is in front of us. Prayer isn't the thing we do to bring everybody together because we're about to start the service, or just the thing we do because we're about to preach from his word, or the thing we do to close the meeting. Prayer is about asking, about presenting our petitions. It's us being ever mindful that we are utterly and totally dependent on God. It's us remembering that we have a God who delights in receiving our requests and answering our prayers. So he says, he goes in with preparation, two things, and then his petition, have I required of thee? The next thing I would say about prayer as I go through this, notice the passion in it. I hope that prayer is not merely perfunctory, but it's something that you enter with passion. And when I say that, I realize that different people might express a passion about something, a depth of feeling, a depth of conviction, an earnest, yearning, fervent desire. They may express that differently. One person, it may be in tears. For another person, it may be very quiet. Someone else may feel comfortable praying with passion in a group, and someone else may only feel comfortable doing that very privately in their closet. But to have that that depth of passion. See, I'm still in verse uh, uh, verse 7. You can tell I have A, B, C. That's why I said C. So two things have I required of thee, Deny me them not before I die. See, that's strong. Don't deny this. Lord, I'm coming with my prayer request. I'm coming with this petition. And do not deny me this. You can sense the passion in it. And sometimes we get this idea in prayer that it's merely a a spiritual discipline of some sort or it's merely a thing we do, sometimes we even use it as a measure of our goodness as a Christian. I pray this time and pray that time and won't miss this prayer, and I'm devoted to the prayer service. And and it's almost as if we're doing God a favor. And when it's like that, the passion really isn't there. It becomes the thing we do as Christians. And I would say... You saw how Pastor Walker, before we even went in, he said, let's just let the song play and pray for someone who needs to hear the old, old story, who was very effective in bringing us to make a very meaningful prayer. Lots of things to pray for. We didn't pray about a tornado or a warning or a storm, uh, and there are lots of things that we could pray, but he brought right before us and brought us to a place to pray, and for me, it put my grandchildren 
as they're starting to come to that age. And probably for some of you, it was this person or that person. And I could have had a long list, but those are the ones that I feel the Lord brought to my mind right away and I started praying. But to be praying passionately. He says, deny me them not. It would be wise for us to pray pleadingly and passionately, uh, having, being so invested in what we're praying for. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent Energeo. I don't know if that's how you really say it. In Greek, that's how it's written. You're praying. It's fervor. It's feverish. You're praying fervently. So it's what often we call the prayer service, the midweek prayer meeting or something like that. How fervently are we praying? If you're like me, there are times where you really get passionate about it and there's times where that wanes and maybe it goes in cycles. If the crisis comes, the health crisis or the financial crisis or the pandemic or the this or the that, and then we can kind of go in waves. But here is a wise man praying very, very wisely. We're still in the preface, the prefatory, if that's how you say it, part of the prayer. We haven't even gotten into it. And we're not done because notice, lastly, the first four things we're looking at have to do before we get into the meat of the prayer. What did he pray for? Here is a wise man. He presents himself as brutish and unlearned, but he's clearly not because you start to read his language and he refers to God. And when you get into verses three and four and five and six and who could hold the wind in the fist of his hand and this and that. And then he has these piercing lists that are full of wisdom, things that he wonders about. He's clearly not brutish and unlearned. He's clearly got a lot of depth and wisdom. What does he pray for? Lean your ear in. But notice this last thing before we even get into that. Notice the perspective before I die. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. We're about to look at his bucket list. I haven't been to the Holy Land yet. I really want to make a trip to the Holy Land. But if I see it from the other side, that's okay too. If I see it after this life, that's fine too. But if you were to ask me, what would be on your bucket list? You know, I don't really have one. I just want to keep serving the Lord. I might put something like that on there. I can't think of other things, to go here, to go there, to do that, to see this. What's your bucket list? Here's his bucket list. It's a perspective. He goes into prayer with his own mortality, his own brevity. Life is but a vapor in mind. These are the things I'm asking you for. Lord, do not deny me these things before I die. Let me see them realized in my life. Let them become the reality of my life. Anyone who knows me more than a few weeks and has been around the kind of teaching and preaching I do will understand what I mean when I say this. I approach every sermon, 
every opportunity I have to preach the word of God, I approach it as if it's my last. This may be my last message ever. It's a way I kind of psych myself up. I don't want, after all these years, and preaching and in different languages and different places, and if uh, I'm on this kind of thing, what we call furlough, where I'm going around, and I might be re-preaching messages, and we do, that I won't just start repeating the message because I've memorized more of the verses in it or something. But every single time I preach, I want to go with that perspective that it might be the last sermon I ever preach. And God's word is so powerful that it can transform a life. It could take a lost person and bring them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could take a backslidden person who might even be hiding it and God's word could pierce and bring them back to himself. It can take the saint who's walked long with the Lord and bring them closer than they ever realized. See, that's kind of my philosophy. I don't come out and say that every time I preach. But that's how I approach it. But I've never approached prayer that way. How about you? What if you made your prayer, you went to your time of praying, and you had that perspective? Lord, grant me this request before I die. I have that perspective. The old Puritan commentator, most of us would know, Matthew Henry, did say that every time... uh, Before you go into your prayer, think about dying. So maybe he had that perspective. Maybe that's what he meant by that. It was kind of an intriguing comment, but in light of this, it's not. See, Agur prayed with wisdom. He was prepared as he went into it, but he also had this perspective. Will you? Or will you just go into your next prayer kind of like we do? Some good thoughts for us tonight. Now let's look what he prays for. Lean your ear in close and think about it. The first thing we see is he prays for prevention. Look at verse 8 there. Remove far from me vanity and lies. The first thing he prays for is prevention. He wants these things prevent them from even entering my life. Remove them if they are in any measure in my life. So the first thing he says as he prays, what a prayer. What if we prayed that way? Lord, remove far from me emptiness. Lord, remove from my life things that make no difference in the light of eternity. Lord, remove far from me vanity, emptiness, a waste of time. If Facebook has me scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and I go down the Facebook rabbit hole and I look up and 45 minutes have passed and that's habitual, I miss a lot on Facebook. I post on it and have a network of a lot of people and we keep up with one another and use Messenger, but I miss a lot of stuff because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too often. What if we started to pray that way? This doesn't look too much like the video game crowd. Are they listening over in the youth? I'm being a little silly, but Lord, remove far from me vanity. What is it in your life? What is it in my life? What are the kind of things? All right, I binged. Four months away from Emmy, because we were stuck on different islands with the COVID stuff. And I did all the ministry stuff and this and that, but the nights were lonely. You can judge me. It's okay. 
Barnaby Jones, every episode from the first season all the way to the last. Barnaby Jones. I like went back to it. Oh, I found it for free. I'm not going to pay for anything to watch. And the internet would go in and out sometimes. And I'm watching them and it's so funny because they don't have cell phones or anything like that. So wherever they go, they have to get a phone. Then they, I was out of those. Canon. I said, if I'm going to watch someone, give me the big guy. I watched all the Canon episodes. I mean, what kind of thing can we just throw ourselves into and would just watch them? That was the way I filled. And I got thinking about that. How many hours? Hey, a little bit of rest. God designed it. Six days of work and a day of rest. We don't have to feel guilty about ever taking a reprieve. But boy, you can go down a rabbit hole. Columbo. I didn't get too far with the Columbos, but I loved that when I was younger. I got busy again, Brother Dennis. I found more things to do. But I'm making light of that. I'm also telling you exactly what happened. But how about if we all said, wow, when the wise man prayed, he prayed, Lord, he went in two things. The first thing is prevent these things. Remove them. Don't just remove them from me and put it over there. Remove it far from me. A prayer for prevention. What not so meaningful substantive things might be taking our time away from what God would have for us? That's not a guilt trip for every time you take a breather. But there may be things that take a lot of our time up that you haven't even really thought about. Agur evidently did, and he said, Lord, remove far from me vanity. Then the next thing he said is, remove far from me lies. So the first thing of these two things is this. It's a prayer for prevention. He said, remove from vanity emptiness, because I want to use what time I have on this earth and fill it with things that are substantive, and like I already said, make a difference in eternity. But remove lies. Remove deception from my life. How did Agur mean it? What's the proper interpretation there? You know the old adage, right? In hermeneutics, in the study and interpretation of the Bible, there's one interpretation, many applications. What's the real interpretation there? What did Agur mean? Did he mean remove, was it an inward thing? Get lying out of my heart and out of my mouth. Remove far from me any kind of lies. Or did he mean it externally? I think we ought to apply it both ways. And if you got that answer too, if you know exactly who Agur is, tell me more about it. I want to learn. And if you know exactly what he means by that, and you can tell, tell me. I want to know that too. But I'm going to apply it both ways. First of all, remove far from me any tendency to lie. I'm not saying just I don't want to be a liar because all liars have their part in the lake of fire. I, I want it removed far from me. I don't want to shade I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want, if you are going to talk to me about ministry and church planting, yes, of course, we come before the church and try to encourage you and put the, you know, look what God has done and give God the glory. But if you talk to me for a while about it, I'll tell you the other side too. I'll tell you the broken heart when someone you poured so much into just took a nosedive into sin and disqualified himself. And, you know, there's, there's so much to it. The idea is, Lord, remove far from me. I don't only not want to outright lie. I don't even want to get in the neighborhood 
I don't even want to be tempted. If you're asking me my weight, I don't want to just, I don't know why I would shave off five pounds like it makes a difference. I'll just tell you, I'm not telling you none of your business. That's better. Amen? But I want to have this thing where there's no exaggeration, there's no shading, there's no fudging. It's not about the optics. Is this registering with anybody? Or am I just preaching to myself? How far is deception from your tongue and from your heart and from your thoughts? Whenever here we're at church, how about in your business? How about in your home? How about in your relations? How about with others? But I think there's the other application, and the wise person is praying and saying, Oh, Lord, remove far from me deception. Our enemy is a deceiver. He's a liar and the father of them. He's a liar from the beginning. There's deception all around. That's why that phrase just caught on like wildfire. Such a simple phrase. I'm not getting political, just like I said to pastor before, but fake news. Everybody got it. It was like, thank you for giving us such a simple phrase to articulate Something we saw everywhere. Remove far from me vanity and lies. What if we said, oh Lord, protect me from being deceived in this life? Because we're not real good at that. We might think we are, but when our flesh wants to hear what we want to hear instead of hearing the truth, we can get real good at rationalizing things and not detecting error and not detecting falsehood and not detecting deception. But a wise person prays and says, Oh Lord, remove far from me things that are empty and meaningless and useless and remove far from me deception that could well up from within or deception that can influence me from without. And it comes from every side of the political aisle. Don't think because you're on one side, you got the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth. And that side is all, it's from every side of the political aisle. And so Lord, protect me. Give me a discernment and an understanding and let me see everything through the lens of scriptures and not be manipulated and misled and taken off course. How many Christians in this politically polarized environment have gotten away from what we ought to be about? How many of us, because of deception on one side or another, that we got off track where our social media is all about politics? To mask or not to mask etc., etc., and it's not about the things that matter. See, these things go together. Oh, Lord, remove from me vanity. Remove far from me, and remove from me lies. Look at the next thing he prays for now as we go into verse 8. He prays for provision. Give me neither poverty nor riches. First part... Amen. The second part, hmm? he prays for provision in the negative. Give me neither poverty. I think we could all say, yeah, I can see myself praying that. Lord, I don't want to be poor. Give me enough. At least, just, just don't give me poverty. But he also says, nor riches. Give me neither too little, 
nor too much. Isn't that a wise prayer? Lord, don't give me less or more than I can handle. Someone else prayed very, very wisely in the New Testament, and he simply said, give us this day our daily bread. Just give us what we need. Oh, ought we to think about retirement? Ought we to think about leaving something to the generations after us? A wise man giveth to his children's children. Are those principles in the scriptures? Certainly. But Lord, don't give me more than I can handle. Don't give me so much that I would deny you. But don't give me so little that I would steal and cheat and take your name in vain. Isn't that a wise prayer? What if we prayed, Lord, help me to have the right amount and much more importantly, the right relationship with stuff. I am telling you, friends, in American culture, this is a must because we are extremely materialistic. We all really need, I know you're involved a lot with Haiti, so I think you see, you've been exposed to other places and other degrees of need. And I pull that one because I hear that a lot uh, in conversation with different people here. You you need to come out to Samoa, way to the outer village, and see how people are living. And some of them are living in conditions that would be utterly unacceptable. We would say, Lord, I already prayed, give me not poverty. And yet they can be very content. And yet they can walk 45 minutes to and 45 minutes from church twice on a Sunday in the blazing Pacific sun. Hmm. When we live in a culture that measures success by stuff and what we have, we need this prayer. Lord, don't give me too little that I can't handle it but don't give me too much that I can't handle it either. So he's praying for provision in exactly the right way. We would all kind of agree with the first part. But the second part, riches bring much care. Riches bring trouble. Wise people will tell us that and will say, yeah, but I'm willing to give it a try. But I can handle it. You know, lots of people who win the lottery get all this money and their life is a wreck. Yeah, but not me. What if we just prayed, Lord, give me what I can handle? That's some wise stuff right there. You may not be nearly as close to the Lord tonight because your security is in your stuff. Your security is in the amount that you have. And I'm not saying pray tonight for the Lord to take it all away. But pray, Lord, don't give me too little that I can't handle it, but don't give me too much that I can't handle that either. And so we see these, and then finally we'll end here, and I'll turn it over to Pastor now as we come to a close. The prayer for protection. Prevent these things, remove them far from me. Provide exactly what I can handle that's right for me. And it might be different for somebody else. And then in verse 9, lest I be fool and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God 
in vain. And then he goes on in verse 10 and starts pouring out a lot of wisdom on other things. This little prayer, it sneaks its way into the pages of scriptures here. One that we might miss, and yet I find so much wisdom in it. And the last thing is simply this. Lord, protect me from me. The reason I need that stuff removed far from me, and the reason I need, I can't handle either this or that, protect me from me. The wisest prayer you can make, in my estimation, would be, Lord, protect me from me. Because the enemy who dogs us the most is not the infernal enemy, the devil. And it's not the external enemy, the world. It is indeed the eternal, the internal enemy, the flesh. And so, Lord, I'm praying all this. Deny me not this, lest I deny you, lest I steal, lest I take your name in vain. That's where we need the most protection, and that is where we're the most vulnerable. Thank you so much for giving attention to the Word of God. I'll pray and turn it over to Pastor to close as he sees fit. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can pray for wisdom and you will give it abundantly. But I also thank you that even after many years in your word and in Christian disciplines, you can speak to me and perhaps others and add some depth and dimension to this particular area in our life, the area of prayer. We love you, praise you, and thank you all in Jesus' name. Amen.